Hey folks, just a quick note before you get to the episode with myself and Daniel, we had a little bit of uh, internet shenanigans on the line, you know, big surprise recording this during Mercury retrograde and so on. So I think that the uh, audio is still super listenable, um, but there are a few spots where some words drop it and stuff like that. Uh, having checked it, I think you won't miss too much and the rest of the conversation is totally worth it. So with that, I will say on to the show. Welcome to the Hermit's Lamp Podcast. I want to give a big shout out to the fine people who are supporting the Patreon. Not only are they making this happen, which uh, certainly I feel very supported by that process, uh, but also they've started getting all sorts of great new things. I've been recording extra Patreon exclusives with the guests who've been on. Uh, we've had Jen Zart on talking about some astrological aspects. Uh, we've had Al Cummins talking about geomancy and pizza magic. And uh, we've had the Stacking Skulls crew on talking about their musical influences, both spiritually and ridiculously in their lives. And all of this stuff is only for people who are supporting the Patreon. So please consider it. Think about how many hours of this podcast you've listened to. And jump over to patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp if you pledge five dollars an episode you will get access to all of that good stuff but there are perks at many levels as well thanks for supporting it enjoy the episode welcome to the hermit's lamp podcast i'm hanging out today with daniel four and uh daniel is a priest and has done all sorts of wonderful work uh, along the lines of uh, ancestral healing and uh, ancestral medicine is the name of the book that he has out. And, uh, you know, he and I have a lot of similarities in, in our practices and the kinds of things we're interested in. So, uh, you know, lots of people have been suggesting I have him on for a while and, and well, today's the day. So welcome, Daniel. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much. It's good to be here. For people who might not know who you are, um, who are you? What are you about? Yeah, well, I to to locate myself a bit, I'm a forty year old white cisgendered American living in Western North Carolina from Ohio originally, but traveled a good amount, but live in the States and have a PhD in psychology. I'm a licensed therapist, so I have a background in mental health. But mostly I'm a ritualist and I've been training with different kinds of teachers and traditions for over 20 years now and started out with more shamanic, pagan, eclectic, magical things and migrated into involvement with Islam and Sufism, Buddhist practice, and then circled back to involvement with indigenous systems and earth honoring traditions. And in the last decade have been immersed in West African uh, Ifa practice uh, lineages in the Americas and also in West Africa, and so I'm an initiative of Ifa and Obatala, Shun, and Egungun, priesthood, and in lineage of Aluofalo, Adesanya, Aboyade, and 
Bremel and Ogun State. So I've been four times to Nigeria, and that's one influence on my practice. But mostly I teach and guide non-dogmatic, inclusive, animist, ancestor-focused ritual practice. Two years or so have shifted to training others, which has been really satisfying after years of doing more public facing ritual. I'm now, I do some of that, but mostly I'm training other people in how to guide the work. And I have developed a specialization in uh, repair work with blood lineage ancestors, but I also operate from a broader animist or earth honoring uh, framework that isn't limited to just that. So, and I'm a dad, I'm a, you know, married and love the earth here and live in the American South, which is kind of strange, but also okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess my first question for you is, when did you start feeling the ancestral stuff calling you? Well, my, my own lineages are German, English, Irish, early settler, colonialist in North America. And so I didn't inherit any religious or spiritual framework or culture that was of value to me in any conscious way as a young person. And so my first teachers in shamanic practice, uh, Becky and Crow at the Church of Earth Healing, in the late 90s nudged me to get to know my ancestors ritually. And it was really impactful, actually. I, did, I was surprised by it. I'd never thought about them really before that. And I ended up assisting with the older ancestral guide or teacher my father's father who had taken his own life and, uh, and, and just showing up for that work, which was, uh, was powerful. And it, and it was a catalyst for me to research, do a lot of depth genealogy research about my own family history. And that dovetailed in with my training as a therapist. So I was in a period of connecting a lot of dots and valuing my own heritage in a, in a grounding way, not in like some awkward go white people way, but like in a way that helped me to reclaim what is beautiful about European, you know, Northern Western European cultures and including earlier pre-Roman, pre-Christian um, magics and lineages. And so I uh, ran with that ritually, have guided a hundred 20 maybe multi-day ancestral healing intensives since 2005 in that work. So I spent about six or seven years getting grounded with all of it myself and started to help other people with it. And it, it just organically developed as a specialization. And I tend to be a little obsessive about a thing when I'm, I'm into it. I'll, I'll do that like crazy until it's... So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's interesting how... Um, you know, because I do a lot of ancestral work as well, you know, mm -hmm. do ancestral divination work and, you know, ancestral sort of healing and lineage healing and so on. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been teaching it with uh, my friend Carrie. We have this, we developed a system of people working with uh, charm casting as a tool to, mm -hmm. uh, to get into that work. And, you know, we've been traveling around and teaching it, you know, everywhere. We were in China last year teaching it and stuff like that with people. And, mm -hmm. You know, I think the, the thing that sort of stands out in your story that I think stands out everywhere is so often, like, the last little bit, you know, the last few generations, it's kind of wonky or, like, there's not a lot 
maybe there's not a lot of connection or living connection mm-hmm. you know like even you know it wasn't until last year that i found out that my grandmother uh read tea leaves when she was alive mm-hmm. on for like 12 years and just it's never came up before she never talked mm-hmm. about it my mom just never brought it up not for any particular reason but just it just was never a thing even mm-hmm. though that's the same grandmother who bought me a tarot deck when i was like 13 long ago right of course you never talked about it right um but how you know often when you kind of go back you know a few generations or somewhere a bit deeper you know there are these sort of more uh evolved isn't the word that i super like um but you know like more grounded more helpful you know ancestors with a with a sort of more capacity to be really guides and, and assist you in this process right yeah often it where those cutoffs happen vary so widely from one demographic or even one individual to another. And I know in a lot of my own lineages, it's been over a thousand years since anyone during life had a uh, culturally reinforced and supported framework for honoring the ancestors. Mm-hmm. And so the older ones, the ones even before that are quite available. So it's not, I mean, I could uh, reinforce some kind of orphan, victim, culturally damaged white person narrative, but it's not that sexy or useful. And so at a certain point, you're just like, well, you pick up the pieces where they're at and get the fire going again. Mm-hmm. And the older ancestors are happy to do that. And so even if someone comes from a really recently and before that, um, culturally fragmented set of lineages the ancestors are still available the older ones and the main repair orientation of practice that I encourage people to try on at first is to partner with those older ancestors and with them assist any of the dead who are not yet well any of the ones between those older ones in the present who are not yet really well-seated, really vibrant, uh, help them to become well-seated ancestors. So the dead change is very important for us living folks to not fix them in some static condition. Mm-hmm. Just because people were a pain in the ass or really, you know, culturally in the weeds during life doesn't mean they're doomed to that condition forever. They can really uh, change and become not only like not ghosty, but they can become dynamic, engaged, useful allies for cultural healing work in the present. So, Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a misconception that a lot of people have that they automatically change on crossing over. Uh, sure, yeah, that's a different... Right? <laughs> different and, and, then they, and then the other side of that is, you know, they can change, but it might take a bunch of work, even if they didn't change, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, both. Both are true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the idea that just dying makes you wise and loving and kind is... This is really hazardous, actually, as a worldview. So it'll lead to a view of, I've seen it at times in pagan circles as well, where it's like, oh, the ancestors, ancestors are good. Let's invoke them all. Okay, here are all the names of my ancestors in the pictures, and let me light a candle and strongly invoke all of them. Well, I I hope your invocation doesn't work. Um, Because if it does, you're going to get a mixed bag. Because your people are, you know, if they're well, awesome. But if they're not yet well and your invocation works, then what you have is some not yet well ghosty energy in your space. For sure, right? And some of those spirits can be uh, pretty tumultuous, you know, if they're 
Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Here, you know, I have, I have one grandfather that I continue to work with to uh, sort of work on, let's put it, you know, right. Some time and they're still not ready to be, you know, front and center in anything because they just so caught up in so much deep, deep trauma in their own life and in the generations before them. And, one, one of the things that I, I don't, I won't say it's unique to how I approach it, but it's uh, emphasized in how I approach ancestor work, which isn't across the board, is I take a very lineage-based approach. Like I, I don't even really encourage necessarily relating with individual ancestors that much. So in the case of someone, not to speak to your specific case necessarily, but let's say someone's grandmother is really quite entrenched in the unwell ghosty range of wellness. My strategy is to make sure that her mother and her mother and her mother and her mother and the lineage of women before them on back through time to the ancient weird witchy deity like grandmothers, that whole lineage is deeply well. And the, and the repair happens from the older ones toward the present. And so once you have the parent of the one who is quite troubled in a deeply well condition and the whole lineage before them deeply well as a group energy, asking them to intervene to address the rowdy, ghosty grand, grandparent tends to be, uh, it can, well, it can be more effective simply because there's a, re-anchoring of the rogue individuality in a bigger system in a collective energy mm -hmm. and there's a respect for seniority or hierarchy by having that person's elders be the ones to round them up mm -hmm. so so that's um i i share that because in the west generally i find that people tend to conceive of ancestor reverence primarily as the relating of one individual to another individual and, and some of the, the lineage or group level aspects of it can get lost or they're not as emphasized. And so I find that's important nuance to include. And then another is, and we've spoken to it, is just the way in which one's ancestors are, are not at all just the remembered dead, the ones, the recent ones, that they include uh, the, the vast majority of them are living before remembered names. And that's helpful for people who are like, my family are abusive trolls. I'm like, okay, I believe you. But I think what you mean to say is all the generations you know about, which is probably not more than two or three. Yeah. And, and so it's like you meet, you're at the ocean at a windy, cloudy day and you're saying, oh, the ocean is tumultuous. Well, I believe it is right there at the beach, but the ocean's a big place. Yeah. yeah. So expanding our, our frame for who we mean when we say ancestors can be helpful too. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah, and there's lots of times where, you know, we'll make offerings or do work with all of those ancestors, right? Mm -hmm. With the, with you know, with the egg group, right? With everybody, right? Yeah. You know, in, in those ways and so on, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting how it's, it's really interesting to sort of make sure that you're looking at those things. And, you know, some of my, some of my best ancestral allies have been gone, you know, three, four hundred years, right? Or yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Good. They, they arrive and they're just like, yes, <laughs> you're, you're the beacon of light amongst all of these things. And let's radiate that out to everybody afterwards and anchor further and deeper, right? Yeah, really. for sure. Mm -hmm. mm. So when you're, um, when you're, when you're doing work with people, um, 
are you mostly focused on, you know, because a lot of people come to ancestor work because they want to get messages and receive stuff and do right. kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that can be fruitful too. I, mean, I enjoy that kind of work as well. Um, but that's not really what we're talking about here either. Right. I mean, not explicitly. Right. Yeah. If we say like, what's the point? It can, there are a lot of different motivations that can drive someone to want to engage their ancestors. The a most common one is I'm suffering. Will this help? Mm-hmm. That's legit. Sometimes it will help indirectly. Sometimes it will help directly because the source of the suffering is unmetabolized intergenerational trouble that's directly connected to ancestral interference. And so sometimes it, you know, it can help in different ways. Another motivator for the work is seeking life guidance as the ancestors have insight into our unique destiny and can help us to move into closer alignment with that you know our unique instructions or soul level work in the world as you know in yoruba culture we sometimes talk about the world as the marketplace and uh, orun or the spirit world as home and and so if, if you forget your shopping list Working with the ancestors can be like, let us let us show you. You said this, 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 and this. And be like, oh yeah, okay, thanks. And so that's helpful uh, to not waste our lives. And ancestors can be great for being resourced parents or supporters in family. Like they're especially good with all the family sphere, the domestic sphere, like being a responsible family human. And they're also good allies for cultural healing. A lot of the racism and colonialism and sexism and other kinds of cultural toxicity and garbage and bad capitalism that we're stewed in and trying to get out from underneath and help transform, those are ancestor, those are troubles created by the ancestors. Like they're implicated in the trouble. And so they have appropriately a hand in resolving the trouble as well. And so they're great allies for. In, by whatever form, activism, cultural change work, all that. And so I, I really think that working closely with one's ancestors helps cultural change makers to up their game, so to speak. So that's another another motivation. And this is, I guess it's related to the one about destiny, but in, inspired a bit from Yoruba frameworks, the collective energy, wisdom of the, the ancestors is associated strongly with the earth. Like Onile is the earth is a, like the calabash that holds the souls of the dead. And because the earth is associated with accountability and uh, you know moral authority and is the witness through of all interactions. And in, in that way also the ancestors carry that same quality of accountability. And I think whether or not people can consciously own it some part of us craves accountability like we want to be seen and checked when needed there's something really um like uh our daughter almost made it to the top of the steps like the door was open the other day she's nine months old but we caught her it was good it's way better than had we not held her in that moment and and there's a way in which that kind of love and connectivity is like, oh, I'm not alone in the universe. Mm-hmm. If I crawl to the top of the steps, someone will pick me up. So we want that and the ancestors bring that as well when we live with them. I think it's uh, I think it's a thing that 
especially you know my experience people in western culture struggle with too right the sort of willingness to acknowledge an authority or an awareness or a position that's sort of above them in a way that they can allow in to say you know what actually we really do know what's better for you in this moment oh yeah or, it's you know what my friends you know going down that road has nothing to do with your destiny or what have you right or oh, hey, yeah. well, here's here's your fault in this mess that you're trying to put on this other person right oh yeah no people look i i'm a teacher also and so it often it's great and fine and sometimes people are idealizing in awkward ways i'm like oh don't do that don't do that but but it's whatever fine it's fine it tends to burn out and even out and also sometimes people are really just not not okay with anything resembling a power differential or a student teacher relationship right. and it's it's um it's tiring a little as a teacher and because there is a difference between telling someone just what to do in an authoritative way and also saying like well do you want to learn a thing because i know this skill like what do you do you want to tell me how it goes because so so yeah there uh, it, it is a i think it's a function of power so often being abused that people understandably have mistrust yeah, yeah. so I, I have compassion for it and also the piece around hierarchy and authority is really is challenging i um in the coming months some uh, dear friends are going to uh, nigeria to do initiations and i was talking to last night and i was like in the nicest possible way I, you really your main job as the initiative is to obey it's just like the ritual is done to you nobody really cares what you think about it and it's totally Stay fine here. Stand there. <laughs> right yeah totally <laughs> sit down drink it sit, eat it say thank you like yeah. yeah like you're you're the thing being consecrated your input is not needed yeah <laughs> No, Nothing sure. personal. Next time you go back, then you can have an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so. And even then, maybe yeah, even then, you just mostly you just you get it. You get one small vote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, sure. yeah well, I see it with people who, um, I mean, come for readings of all kinds. But you know, with people who who approach, uh, you know, getting, uh, you know, Dilogun readings and stuff like that, and you know, and the readers come through, and they're like, oh, you know what, you know. Don't don't drink this year. Don't you know whatever. Don't get tattooed. Don't you know? No 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 red beans for you. And they're just like, what do you mean? Like I don't understand. It's like, well, you, you don't obey. Really, <laughs> right. What is what is the understanding? I mean, in a lot of that situation, in some of those situations, the understanding is more obvious, right? Right. Conversation with the person who say, well, it seems like you kind of have this kind of challenge. And this is kind of a thing that might counter that. Like, okay, maybe. But other times it's just energetic or, or on other levels that it's just like, you know, it's kind of the, it, it's an equivalent of saying, hey, carry this citrine with you for the next year. It's going to help your energy. But it's in a, in a different structure that people don't relate to in the same way, right? For sure, yeah. And then they're like, but, but I don't want to be told what to do. I'm like, well, what else are you You just do? paid me to do that. So. Yeah, you asked, right? <laughs> some part of us does some part of us really i think wants to be told what to do now and that could go awry and i'm not saying it's entirely healthy impulse but 
there's something about accountability and structure and community and limits that's actually really intimate. Yeah. And uh, you, if you can't hear and accept no, your yes is meaningless. And so there's something uh, that's precious, sweet about protocol and tradition and about structure. Yeah. I also think that a lot of people don't really, faith is a really complicated and difficult thing for a lot of people too, you know, mm. and especially when entering a new tradition, you know? Sure. And, and I think that part of what we're talking about here is also a matter of faith, right? What is yeah. your, what is your faith in the ancestors or the Orisha or whatever? And how, how do you sustain that faith through being deeply challenged by them? stuff yeah and for me look i was involved with different orisha teachers in the states uh, american for the most part and it didn't work out that well for the most part i mean complicated but i i felt like there was a lot of restrictive and unhealthy and kind of confused energy around it and i had an opportunity to go to nigeria to reset some of the initiation like things that had happened here and so I took a risk on it and I'm like, oh, this is either going to be like the final straw or some breakthrough, like let's pray for the latter. And I saw kindness and non-dogmatic group community, like in my Ifa initiation, there were men aged like 80 to five holding space, like in 20, 30 people there. And people are teasing each other, playing, having a good time. Like the people were well human beings, they seemed happy. Yeah. And so that relaxed, teasing, heart-aware energy, I'm like, oh, good. This is what I was looking for. And it helped, for me, it helped me to trust and just not fight the system. I'm like, just tell me what to do. Just say, okay, eat the pig tongue. Okay, get, give me a bite or whatever. Whatever it is, tell, just tell me what to do. So, yeah, it's great. I used to, you know, I used to get some people would bring their, um, you know, like, elderly Cuban elders to the store, you know, mm -hmm. come pick up stuff. They're here in Toronto to do a thing and they bring this person to the store, right? And, you know, my Spanish is uh, not great, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and their English was not great. And we'd like, you know, know, know some like Yoruban words in common or whatever. And you would see how sweet and genuine and, and nice they were. And then they'd notice that like, you know, I've got, plants growing at the front of the store for working with religion and they'd be like oh Alamo. i'm like yeah yeah and we have this like sort of pigeon conversation of a bunch of other things and mostly what it would be is our hearts being open mm -hmm. all of us sharing our love of this religion and these spirits mm -hmm. and the continuity of that and it was such a beautiful and uplifting experience even though there wasn't a lot of words that were associated with it there was so much communication happening at other levels and you could, you know, feel, I could feel my Shango just being happy about it, you know, mm -hmm. feel whoever they're made to just being happy about it and so on. You know, it's so uplifting in that way, right? But That's good. It's one of the things, and, you know, we had mentioned in our previous chat about my talk on practicing the traditions of other people's ancestors. And mm -hmm. I, I, res I respected a lot about the necessary and important dialogues around cultural appropriation and especially not only but especially around respecting different uh, Native North American or First Nations you say traditions and being mindful about what the uh, conditions of involvement if that's open 
to non-native people are, etc. And what's important to understand is those same parameters are not universal and how cultures are shared and understood from one part of the world to another really vary. And Yoruba culture, for example, is, is an, generally an open system. Yoruba people, in my experience, in Yoruba land, I've never had anyone feel off about me being there and training in Orisha, except for the Christians who are like, why, why don't you want Jesu? I'm like, yeah. we, have, we have Jesu where I'm at. It's like, it's fine. You like, go Jesu, but is that why I'm here? And one of the things that is important, though, is it's family. Like you're stepping into a family, a spiritual family. Mm-hmm. It's not like a, hey, bro, thanks for the culture. Now I can go back and set up shop. I got what I need. There's a, and so when your teachers hit you up for money, it's family. That's what, like, it, you can't be part of a family and have a bunch of stuff and then other people don't have something and you don't share it. And so it's, it's not like you're getting exploited. I mean, that also happens, but just the ethic of sharing and supporting one another. If people don't want that, then they might not want to get involved because most indigenous systems that I know of that are open to people not of that blood ancestry hold things in a family-oriented way. There's intimacy with that, but there's also connectivity, reciprocity, accountability. Yeah. And, you know, and so, you know, my, my immediate family where I was initiated is in the Detroit area. And mm-hmm. my, you know, my elders uh, are in, in Miami, you know, and like, but like when the, you know, especially when the, the Detroit folks are doing work, you know, especially bigger things like making priests, you know, I always show up like, you know, it's like you, when they're, when they're doing the work and you're like, oh, it's so inconvenient for me to take four or five days off and go down the help out, right? And it's like, yeah, it's, it's inconvenient and, you know, it's time off work and it's whatever, but it's what those people did for, for me, right? Yeah. And it's what allows all of that continue. And it's a chance to, you know, to also sustain those connections and, you know, sit and eat together and sit and joke together and, you know, handling the cleaning up after the animals together and whatever, right? Like it's part of it, right? And in the absence of being willing to engage that that community element of it, right? It's pretty, if you don't have the, if you don't have the community element in one way or another, especially in the Risha tradition, you don't really have much of anything. It's it's true with the tradition. It, in my experience, is very communal, and there are a lot of ritual domains of activity you just can't pull off solo. Yeah. And it's just that you know the it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of heavy lifting, and you know for people who have worked with psychoactives, there's a certain kind of feeling among a group after a long, successful, like all night acid trip when the sun's coming up. It's sort of like oh we've just gone through something together mm-hmm. and, and, and minus the LSD, there can be a sense after multi-day ritual of a strong kind of magic and beauty and intimacy that's shared through all the effort and all the uh, devotion mm-hmm. that it takes to keep old lineages of practice alive. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And I, and I think it's, I mean, one of the th- the other points that I think was super important, it's been a while since I listened to that talk and we'll link to it in the show notes because it was a good talk. Folks should go back and listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was also the fact that like, these are living traditions, right? Like they have continuity. 
And, you know, there's a big difference between, you know, hey, we're going to, we're going to call up some Greek deities and see what happens, you know, and like, or, you know, see what happens sounds dismissive. I don't mean it in that way. Um, And, you know, there's nobody, there's no continuity to ancient Greece, you know, in a particular way versus there are people who've been practicing these traditions from person to person to person all the way through to now. And you can actually go and ask those people and they will, they can answer you as to what's done and how it's done and why it's done. Yeah, it's no, it's true. Like you don't, people, if they don't know something would be in the habit of divining on it, but I wouldn't want someone to like not go to flight school and then divine on how to fly the plane. Like Um, it's not, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's that great proverb, which I'm sure you know, which is don't ask what you already know. Right. Right. And, and I think that there's a, a, a sort of corollary, corollary to that, which is, you know, um, there are things you just shouldn't ask because you should already know them, right? Right. We don't, need to ask them. we don't need to ask if we do this thing because we know we don't, you know? Yeah. We know that Oshun won't take this as an offering. We know that, you know, we don't do this kind of thing. We know that, like, you know, you don't ask if you could rob a bank because the answer is already no. Right. Know? And there's a, there's a beautiful essay on Olobomidji of a child being asked to divine and they, their parents died young and so they didn't get the information and so they invoke their ancestors and, and bring a lot of humility and wing it and it turns out fine. And, and I think that there's also a, it's kind of an implicit message and don't do that again. Don't pull that card too many times. Right. <laughs> then yeah. go train. Yeah, <laughs> so, for sure, right? so it's both. Um, like the, the deities have kindness and uh, benevolence and also careful yeah and yeah. you know i i was uh i was traveling and uh and i got a, a call that a friend of mine was uh like at death's door in the hospital basically right and uh you know and i was just like literally at a at a you know a rest stop getting gassing up the car when i checked my phone in the middle of new york state right mm-hmm. and i was just like all right and so i, I went and you know, kind of looked around for some stuff and it's like, there's nothing like I can't, there's nothing I can really sort of like put together here. And so I just collected a bunch of white flowers and, you know, it's really hilly. Right. So I just took them to a spot where I felt like it was appropriate for Obatala. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Obatala, this is all I have today. I'm here. This is the situation. You know, I need you to accept these and intercede in the situation. And you can get away with that, but that's not, that's not practicing the tradition. And that's not going to, as you say, it's not going to fly all the time, right? Yeah. You know, when you're at home, you can do all sorts of other things. You have your, your shrines, your ancestors, or wherever you're working is, right? But, you know, they, they will accept these things because they do understand circumstances. They're not um, tyrannical about it, right? But you, spent, like you say, you, you don't want that to be your way of practicing forever. I, I spent years, like, year, like oh, I don't know, not quite 20 years, not involved in a really dedicated way in one set tradition. I was training with different traditions for a period of time and would definitely learn stuff and would develop my own ashe or whatever, but I wasn't like embracing one fully as an operating system. And what I learned that it's possible to do it that way. It was actually really helpful to me that it's possible to go deep with one's own ancestors, to go deep with the spirits of the land where you're at and 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 to get to know them and to get clarity about your own destiny and to just constellate in the different 
powers and forces and spirits that are going to help you to do that. And I also that it's there's a loneliness in going it solo as well. It was like a freedom and a loneliness both. And it it drove me eventually to. I spent almost 10 years involved in Arisha practice in Yoruba ways before I decided to initiate. And it's like a long, slow dating process. There wasn't a lot of charisma. It was like, oh, you're the last one left standing and we have a ton of, compa- <laughs> and we have a ton of compatibility. Why are we not doing this? Like, okay, I guess we're going to do this. So it was like we just had the high match on the dating, you know, religious dating profile site. So I'm like, oh, maybe we should try this. And and I haven't regretted it at all. It's very, uh, it's been a relief. The sense for me is of being held in a bigger frame. And it's not really, it's not what I teach publicly. I'm not publicly offering services in that way, even though there, there are certain ones I could in integrity. I'm still in training. I'm still trying to learn Yoruba language. And it's, uh, especially with West African orientation of practice, it's such an oral language-based tradition especially Ifa practice in particular. So um, so I'm trying to hold a, I think if you're not ancestrally of a tradition, the standards are even a bit higher for you to get it right, which I think is fair and understandable, especially with the cultural climate of racism in the West and all that for European ancestor people to be doing West African Ifa, you need to not look like a fool doing it. And so part of that looks like studying the language and really you know, taking to heart the training, but uh, it's possible to go really deep without stepping into a tradition. And there are a lot of ritual advantages to have a, a system to work from as well. So I appreciate both sides of that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think you can get there. I think you can accomplish the same ends either way. Right. Yeah. I think that where, yeah. It gets, where it gets touchy is where, you know, you're you're solely working independently, and with, but within a set of spirits that is that has a living tradition. If you're only working independently and devoid of traditional teaching, you know that's that's where it starts to become a question mark for me about what. Well, yeah, no. If if the main powers you're working with are the Arisha, at a certain point, it's like, well, you got to here's the front door. You can try crawling in the window, but it's going to go badly. So. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're just working with the weird old land gods and your own ancestors, you can get away with it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I also like the weird old land gods. You know, there's a, there's this beautiful ravine, uh, you know, about a two minute walk from the shop mm-hmm. in Toronto that runs through. And, you know, under there, there's sort of part of a buried river that used to once upon a time be up on the surface and all sorts of stuff. And there's, wonderful and magical energies that are there and, and mm. you know really fascinating things have happened in that space over time you know like i was i was there making a you know dealing with something and helping somebody and making an offering essentially to to the spirit of that place in the snow right mm-hmm. and then when i came out of the sort of the wood part and back on onto the path all of these moths emerged these white moths and i'm like <laughs> it's there's snow on the ground and it's snowing right now what is going on with these things i'm like all right i'll take it big old yes from the spirits of this place on that thing you know mm-hmm. so i mean yeah there's some amazing stuff that can happen in those ways for sure nice yeah so i mean i mean first thing is we're you know i 
I'm going to ask you now where people should like, if they listen to this and they want to think about starting it, you know, where they should start. And I mean, I know that one of the answers is definitely they should go read your book because your book is great. But like sure. for the context of our conversation today, where would you, where would you kind of point people? Where, where, where do you put people starting with that stuff? So I'm, I'm not a very trusting person really. So if I were to listen to this conversation and I didn't know that I'm a, a good person, I would go to my website, which is ancestral medicine.org root around there see what the vibe is and there are other talks or whatever and see if you you know get an instinctual this guy's not crazy vibe from where i'm coming from and if you're drawn to the ancestral work there are three main ways to engage one is to connect with one of the practitioners in the directory there and there are 30 some people at this point who are trained in the work men, women, genderqueer people, ancestrally diverse people, lots of opportunities for low-income sessions, sessions in seven languages. So opportunities to connect with people directly for session work. That's the most efficient way. Another is that I offer an online course that starts in December, and that's thorough, and it maps along the heart of the book, chapters five through nine, which is a lineage repair work, and there's a lot of support throughout that course. So that's an option. And I'll also be offering a course through the Shift Network in the fall. And then a third way is the in-person trainings. And the last one I'm gonna guide probably in North America will be in just over a week in Ottawa, the 24th to the 26th. And there's a talk on August 22nd, next Wednesday in Ottawa as well. And all the info on that is on my site. and. Additionally to that, there are trainings in maybe 10 cities and also coming up in Australia and Mexico and maybe Russia and Canada in Victoria. So, uh, uh, and those are led by students who I trust to guide the work. So in-person work, online course or sessions are, uh, in addition to the book, are the three main ways to plug in. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Well. And, and uh, you know, just to say, it, like, if you're wary of people, which is warranted, this approach to the work doesn't involve the practitioners or me or anybody saying, hey, this is what your grandmother says to you. It's about stepping the individual through a process of reclaiming and re-energizing their ability to connect directly with their own people. So it's an empowering approach in that way. It's not somebody getting all up in the mix and channeling messages your people there's nothing wrong with that it's just not this approach so and especially if your family's a mess it's useful to do ancestor work because you get some space from all that and connect with what's beautiful and trustworthy in your own blood and bone lineages so that's that's grounding it's helpful also for the the cultural healing that's needed so yeah. well i think and i think it can be quite liberating you know because we're carrying those patterns right Oh yeah. So you can you can relate consciously or unconsciously with your people, but you don't get to opt out of relatedness. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And if we can tidy those up and take some of that burden off of us or free ourselves from that, right, then we get to show up much differently in our life, right? Yeah. I think of the, the masquerades in Yoruba culture, Agungun, and it's blessing when they come around. But it's also a lot of people try not to be touched by them. And, and so there's, it conveys something about the ancestors, like they're dangerous to avoid and they're dangerous to have around. Yeah. 
but whatever, it's just like other, it's just like living humans. <laughs> For sure. People, people are a challenge on both sides of the veil, right? Yeah, exactly. For sure. So, good. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for making time today, Daniel. It's been great to, yeah. uh, to hang out and chat with you. For sure. Thanks, Andrew. And thanks for your service there. Blessings on everything you're up to. So, yeah, good. So, folks, I hope you do go check out what Daniel's up to. Uh, check out his book. We have it in the shop, uh, and you can get it, as they say, wherever fine books are sold. Also, if you're interested in checking out my take on ancestral work uh, and my ancestral magic course, which is going to be launching again for the uh, fourth iteration now uh, on September 23rd of 2018. You can find that on the events page of the Hermit's Lamp website. Uh, there's lots of information about that. People who have taken it have uh, found new and profound ways to connect with their ancestors and uh, resolve some of the kinds of things we've been talking about today. So Go check that out if that is your jam. All right, we'll see you soon with another episode. Thanks, as always, for listening.